Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today we're talking about Journey, developed by That Game Company and published by Sony. Uh, This game was released for PS3 in 2012 and later for PC, PS4, and iOS. Uh, It's a pretty groundbreaking social adventure game uh, made as part of a contract between Sony and That Game Company by the uh, very well-known developer Genova Chen. Uh, Pretty interesting game. Uh, What'd you guys think? Yeah, uh, definitely an interesting game. It was short, which I think can be a good thing sometimes. You got a game that's not going to take 80 hours out of you. And it was kind of, I think, groundbreaking in that way, too. I was looking over some reviews of that today, uh, some of the ones that came out when it was first released, and they they all warned the players that this could only take you two or three hours to get through. And, like, that was a huge thing, whereas today... I feel that's more a selling point for me. Give me a game, let me finish it. Yeah, I actually like the the length of it because it meant I could do it all in one sitting. And I think given the perspective and I guess what the game is trying to tell you, that was way more impactful because I could do it all, all at once and see the whole thing through to the finish or back to the beginning or whatever you want to call it. I definitely agree. And the fact that this came out in 2012, where the indie scene was not yet huge, especially on big consoles like PS3, um, it probably served the audience well to know what they were getting into. That being said, this game was a pretty big commercial success, as I understand, more so than Flow and Flower, the game's two previous entries. Were they expecting to go Flow, Flower, Flowering or something? But no, they decided to go Journey. And Journey (laughs) is a, a pretty interesting game because it doesn't tell you very much about what it is from the start, and it leaves a lot of discovery up to the player over the course of it to sort of determine what the experience is going to be like. Hmm, like another game you like a lot. <laughs> I can't put my finger on it, Souls. Something about Souls. Maybe Dark, Dark, Dark Souls? There yeah. we go, yeah. Yeah, so this was Souls before Souls was Souls. It was a, what, what the, the, uh... The society that is broken down into an almost dead world with the uh, environmental st- storytelling. It, it is. Dang on. I just uh, I just filled out my Brian Skersha bingo card. Yeah, I got it. Hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bingo, bingo. Josh got bingo. Um, but no, you're right. There is some there's some some definite like souls dying world DNA in here for sure. But I think this this game's message is definitely a lot more hopeful than Dark Souls. Thank God. I don't know if I could stomach a game with as bleak of a, an outlook as Dark Souls in these times. But um, yeah, I, I I thought it was overall pretty positive experience. You know, for especially for a small game developed by you know 18 person team, it was really surprising to me how polished and amazing this felt for being almost a decade old at this point. I don't know how this happened because I play almost, you know me, I play just about anything I can get my hands on, but I missed this when it first came out, despite how many of my friends played it. Did you guys play it uh, back in 2012 or? Nope, this was my first time playing it. Same here, and this is probably like my most egregious blind spot as like a fan of indie games. Like if there's, there's one that one game that most people from the 2010s will tell you to play in the indie scene it is this game and what was the game i had not played until us doing this podcast this game (laughs) so i'm i'm glad we we did this um it definitely i'm surprised actually at how well it held up especially given the aspects of it that rely on the community around it because usually if you're playing a game that relies on a community a decade out 
you're probably in for some some rough times, but not in this case, uh, at least in my sure. experience. Yeah, so this is one of the things I really like about indie games. So if you play the Call of Duty game from 2012, whatever that would be, you're probably going to start playing like, this looks like shit. I'm, I'm not into this anymore. But luckily, indie games have this weird thing where it's, it's part of their art style. They weren't going for super realism, so you get super simple sometimes. So like sometimes you get the pixelated stuff. In this case, it's just very... This was kind of like Pixar-ish. I would say painterly like, is what we would say here. Yeah, like, yeah. like very flat colors, very... Um like animated yeah like cartoonish style and I, I don't think anyone would ever say this game looks bad in no even in today's by today's standards i think it's pretty gorgeous not at all actually some of the vistas and some of the lighting i was almost convinced that they have upgraded it maybe they have maybe they haven't but like some of this is like truly beautiful but it's also very simple so it holds up for longer when you have that hyper realistic you get like the best of the day in this case it still looks as good in 2020s it did in 2012 i think i actually prefer that kind of stylized graphic uh game because it does hold up later on and myself i'm not one to play the latest and greatest games i wait for a sale five years on before (laughs) i pick it up um so i like the games that hold up better uh they aren't relying on being the peak of the current generation or the current knowledge about programming yeah, it gives it like a timeless kind of uh, thing to it. I like it. Totally. Mm-hmm. It's for the same reason that people continue to go back to Wind Waker as their favorite Zelda game, right? Mm. Um, sometimes a strong art direction and theme will carry you in places that technology won't. Um, to that end, it, it looks great. It also sounds great. The composer, Austin Wintry, who has gone on to compose uh, several other games and is a very well-known composer in his own right, wrote an excellent score for this game. Uh, apparently, the, the soundtrack was so central that he wrote songs, the team then prototyped levels, and then he recomposed the songs after seeing the levels. So hmm. there was a very real feedback loop in the music for this game as well. Yeah, you could feel that. I don't know that there was ever like, okay, some of these games have like bangers. And you're like, I, I love that song. I can't think of a single, I couldn't recall a single song where I'm like, yes, that one was the best. But yeah. it all fits very well mm-hmm. and it sets the tone. There, There's no talking. There's not a whole lot guiding you along in this game either. There, you just see the mountain in the background and you know you're walking towards it. And pretty much the minimal visuals and the music carry the whole thing. And I think the music bore the heaviest weight out of all of that. Very good point. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe we should set the stage with what this game is actually about before we dive into sort of the, the series of events that happen and what the mechanics are. So in Journey, you're a player who's controlling sort of a red-robed figure who starts in a vast desert, and in the distance you see a mountain. Uh, you have a little scarf around your neck, and you slowly make your way through the desert, And the only thing you can do is sing and take a little jump into the air, and initially you are all alone. And that's pretty much where the game kicks you out the front door in front of the gravestones, it seems, of all of your predecessors. Yeah, it opens you up in this vast desert, uh, all sorts of things going on around you, but has a gorgeous color palette and directs you um, very well towards this mountain you gotta go to. Um, and I, I think one of the interesting things about the game was that it told its 
uh, story with no tutorial and no language in it. I don't think there's a single word of text that appears in the game. Um, the qu very quick tutorial they do at the beginning just tells you how to jump and how to uh, sing, which is one of the mechanics they have. Um, but everything else is like, um, even at the beginning, the first thing you do have to do is move the camera around. And you have to move the camera around until it, you bring the mountain in the distance into focus and then you're allowed to move. So it's like at the very beginning, setting up this mountain as a place for you to go to. I thought about this afterwards and I didn't realize the correlation until I looked into a little bit more, but there's a recent game that's very much like this too. I really like the storytelling, you know you're going towards the mountain and the mountain is always in view and they kind of control your camera a little bit so that it's always focusing in on it. A recent game also by Santa Monica Studios, Sony, where the ultimate goal is to climb a mountain Brian, I think you know what I'm talking about here. God of War, it was kind of the same thing. And, and it was always, I, I love the art direction. I wonder if they kind of took some of that from this since they did this one, you know, long in, in advance. But, you know, your goal is to climb that mountain and always you see it looming in the distance. Like it's always on screen, always reminding you of where you're going and what you're doing. I thought that was a cool art choice. That's a really good point. You know, there's more journey DNA in God of War than I would have initially thought. Also, the fact of bringing in um, companions that you have uh, relationships sometimes unspoken with is uh, <laughs> another sort of resonant theme. But that's that's really cool. I uh, I definitely agree that the the mountain being there is a huge uh, sort of goalpost that you're always trying to strive towards. And the first obstacle that you come across on your way there is this uh, gigantic um, canyon with a, uh, what remains of a bridge, uh, broken down and you need to sort of unlock these cages full of scraps of cloth to build a giant cloth bridge over the, the canyon. It's really striking and it sort of teaches you how to use your voice to interact with objects. One thing I will mention since you touched on it already, the, uh, the companions, I, again, this is a major blind spot for me. Even games I haven't played, I know about you know what what they're all about. I had no idea there was a multiplayer component to this game, and I ran into somebody out there. I'm like, I wonder if this is a real person. And sure enough, after a while, you're like, wait a minute, this is actually another person out here trying to do the same thing on a seven year old game. We just both have to be playing. That was a cool addition. I was not expecting. Yeah, I think, and that was also very much the case when the game first launched. Just people did not know that there was going to be, uh, you know, a live player-to-player -player interaction aspect of this. And in so much as people did not even realize that they were playing with a real person until the end credits when you eventually get the companions along the way message and you see real people's usernames. Because the game strips out so much of what a traditional multiplayer game has. Matchmaking, names appearing above the head, interactions via chat. Any one of those things would have ruined this game's sense of, you know, place and feeling and, and atmosphere. And they were just very wise in removing all of that from the equation for this. I heard uh, Genova Chen talking about how he liked to play a lot of World of Warcraft, uh, but then you would see like usernames pop up above the avatars, and that would totally break you from the immersive experience because now you see that, or now you see this chat. Um, so he, the game was designed very much with keeping you inside the world. So I met this guy around that that first bridge area, and. 
it's crazy how you learn to communicate when there's no ways to communicate. So there's no voice chat, there's no nothing else. But like we get to a point where like I would go over a hill and I would be waiting there for him and he knew that would be the case. So he'd come over to me and like, you know, you can recharge each other's whatever energy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we like had this thing going. There's some somebody I didn't know, never talked to ever. We played through half the game together. And it was cool how we were interacting. And it was to the point where it was almost devastating. Uh, we got to the underground area and I reached, like we got to the, what are those, the monuments or whatever, where you take a brief break. Mm-hmm. And I reached for a glass of water and I spilled it all over my, uh, my surge protector. And I freaked out <laughs> and I had to like clean it all up. And then when I got back up, he was gone. And I was just like, I was like momentarily <laughs> devastated. This person I had never talked to. Like that I played half this game with, like you find a way to communicate and it's still like a deep interaction Mm -hmm. despite missing all that extra stuff. It is really profound how few tools they give you, but how well they set you up to succeed in terms of interactions in this game. Like you had mentioned, Clint, your, your only real way of interacting with each other is encouraging each other on. If you were in close proximity to another player, you charge their scarf, which basically is your jumping power, right? So you can reach higher ledges or uh, press on through wind in some cases. And what it encourages is players to sort of work together to overcome the obstacles in this game. And since you're not really given any other options, you can't disrupt each other in any way. There's no collision uh, and you can't talk to each other without, except for your little voice pings that you're able to use. That's kind of the play space that they've given you. It's not like you're competing for the same resources or anything anywhere. You're only trying to help each other out. So did can you interact with more than one character at a time, or is it just a, a, a tops of two? Because I, I ran into, like I said, I lost that guy, and then about 20 minutes later I found somebody else, but it was only ever one-to-one. It is a maximum of two people playing. Uh, the designer talked about this a little bit. Uh, he said they initially tried out four people going through a level together. And what they found out was that people would go off in groups of two or worst case, there'd be three like going to explore or trying to beat the level while the one person is trying to do the other thing. And it kind of broke the cooperative vibe they were going for. They do use a lot of subtle UI Um, work to ensure that if there is another person in your world you are aware of it and you're working together like they will always put uh, a glow at the edge of the screen facing towards the player that you uh, maybe aren't interacting with at the time to sort of make you look in that direction acknowledge that there's another player there and either go help them or go towards them and so you can start to work together towards a level This is another part where the art informs the game design because the players, uh, everyone's the same red-robed figure, and that's the only use of the color red in the whole uh, game, as far as I can remember. Well, that and the scarves. Uh, The red stands out against the background very easily, and when there's a player in your screen, it's one of the things your eye is drawn to. Yeah, it's it's true. They they have a variety of different environments that you go through, from uh, like a golden desert to uh, a large sort of sand hill where you're against a sunset, and down into the tunnels that you mentioned earlier, Clint, where things turn more blue and somber. And then the white peaks of the snowy mountain, 
And then the end, which is beautiful and gorgeous, where there's like lots of colors, but that's a whole different thing. But yeah, red always stands out. They do a very good job of keeping it simple, but making that simple art style say a lot, which I re again, I really liked about this game. It doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't show you how to do anything. It's not really explicit in anything, but it communicates with the player through all that in a very real and impactful way, I thought. Speaking of colors, did you guys notice that the ending level where you're flying through and everything's all joyous because you got out of the mountain or you're at the top of the mountain, that's the only time in the game where the sky is blue? Yeah, it's super saturated. Everything is like very, instead of, well, it's it's the only non-monotone, or sorry, this is color, monochrome part of the game. Like, like <laughs> you were saying, Brian, you've got the yellow sand dunes and then the sunset and then it's blue when you get down below ground and then it's white as you go up the snowy mountain and then it's just pops of color everywhere it's joyous you're at the end now i have my own feelings about what actually happened at the end but we can talk about that in a little bit when you were saying you you completed most of the journey with one guy uh my journey was was interesting in that regard too i got all the way up through like that temple area with one other person from the bridge all the way up to the temple you know helping each other all the way up the mountain and then just as we were at the end of the temple about to go to the mountain and finish the summit uh he just sort of knelt down and apparently like went away from keyboard for a bit and like I waited a little bit because I kind of wanted to finish the game with whoever this person was. So like I went and I got myself a snack. I, you know, just putzed around for a bit. And then when I realized he wasn't coming back, I was really sad. I was like, I got to move on without this guy. And yeah, I guess in my like headcanon, he just passed away on the side of that mountain. Which That's is probably <laughs> what happened to the guy when I spilled stuff all over my surge protector. He was probably like, is this dude coming back or what? No. <laughs> Clint, we were playing with each other and just did not even know. <laughs> so I think I had two companions that were with me for much of the game. The first showed up in the uh, bridge area, and that's where I was first like, oh, look at this. It's an actual person, you know, very impressed with the multiplayer uh, experience. The second guy showed up inside the tower temple area. So we went through that together and we started going up the mountain together. But if you guys remember, there's that bridge at the uh, halfway through the level. Uh, they show it at the beginning when you first get into the snow level. Um, but it's really halfway through. And I watched my buddy who were like carrying each other through the snow fields. I watch him fall off the bridge and I'm like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's <laughs> too bad for him. Your sacrifice is acknowledged. <laughs> I thought for a brief second I could hop down there and spend another 15 minutes trudging through the snowfields again, but then I thought, eh, maybe not. He wouldn't want that for me. <laughs> <laughs> He'd want me to keep going. That That's true. I mean, there is a... I think the fact that the game is even making you, you know, think altruistically in the first place is a huge win. And, you know, maybe you didn't want to sidetrack yourself 15 minutes out of the way in a game, but the fact that it's engendering feelings of empathy in the first place is a huge win, in my opinion. On a nameless, faceless person that you can't communicate with. I mean, that's, I think that's the biggest part. Like, somehow they made you care about something that is almost a non-entity. The only way to communicate with the other player is by moving around and by hitting that, uh, hitting the button to do your voice, to do the singing, which, by the way, is automatically going to be at the right pitch for what the song is right there, no matter what part you are in the game. 
Oh, that's cool. I didn't even notice that. That's awesome. It's, you know, it's those things you don't notice, which means it's a job well done. Mm-hmm. But I guess at the end of the day, you do get to the top of this mountain, you know, going from the desert to the depths to all the way your triumphant summiting of, of the mountain you've been looking at the whole time. And eventually you sort of uh, have an apotheosis into the sky. You uh, sort of a bright light shines and suddenly you're with your elders and it begs the question what is this game about hmm. i think i know i think i know and i don't think you, okay hold on this is this is a pro theory here i think you died on the mountain i don't think you ever so when you you collapse on the mountain and then you magically just go up in the sky where it's beautiful all of a sudden and then you start <laughs> start over again pretty sure you died and that was the end and this is like you kind of saying goodbye I think I think the read is correct because the um, the game is about life, right? It's a journey from its beginning to its end, from birth to death, and eventually, um, you know, whatever's after, which I guess is uh, the top of the mountain. Yeah, and it's it's about the struggle, and then again, you know, life is a series of challenges, and hopefully, you are met with a companion along the way that you can share those challenges with. You get to the end, and then the journey just starts all over again. So that's the interpretation that I like the best. But I think the one that I think is what the designers intended now, I heard they were going after um, Joseph Campbell's monomyth, you know, the hero's journey where you have the call to action, the visit to the underworld, and the hero overcoming things. So after I heard they were so heavily influenced by that method of storytelling, then... I kind of think that the hero doesn't actually die, or if he does die, he's actually resurrected by the elders, by the ancestors, whatever they're called. So I'll point one thing out that would dispute that. At the very end, when they show you everything, they come back to the base of the mountain where you pretty much died, and they show a gravestone. Hmm. They, like, zoom in on it like that was where you fell. Like, I just... I got. I, I, Super up for interpretation, all of this is. Obviously, not yeah. a word was spoken the entire time. They don't tell you what you're doing or why or what actually happened. But I think this, the strength of it is that it can be interpreted in so many different ways, and so many different stories can be told through the very simple medium that it's presenting, right? Like, we all had very different experiences of basically taking the same path, and it was all dependent on the players that we met along the way or didn't meet along the way and, you know, what we noticed during the final moments and what we you know, thought back to in those same moments. Yeah, in my mind, I think, well, this kind of ties into how I feel about the whole game. Uh, it wasn't actually, had nothing to do, what I remember about the game isn't the game itself or what I was trying to do. It's about the interactions you had along the way. Like, <laughs> you remember the guys you were hanging out with and going on the journey with. That's what I remember the most, too. And I think that that was the most impactful thing by far and the part that I will take away from it anyway. Mm-hmm. I think... One other thing that it's worth pointing out about, it would be remiss not to mention that this game is completely nonviolent, and that was a huge goal of, of the designers when they were looking to make this game as well, as I understand. Jenova Chen is always in his talks, uh, there's a great GDC talk where he's talking about how games occupy a very small portion of the overall genre space in video games. You know, action-adventure is a huge portion. So branching away from that, getting into drama, which I think this game is is playing more on drama than it is on action, for sure. 
uh, is a, a very big blind spot for a lot of games. And the fact that we're having such a strong reaction to the real drama that we're seeing on the screen from this very simple game is a point in his favor saying we should explore more things like this. Yeah, I think there's actually only one thing that kind of stop you from what you're doing. There's those uh, big... Uh, what are they? The stone serpents, yeah. Whatever they are, they can get you. They got me once. They I can, know, uh, I lost half my scarf. <laughs> yeah, man, they, they eat your scarf and peace out. And they knock you... Well, I got hit on the, on, on the peak of the snowy mountain and got knocked back quite a ways, which... It's slow going on that peak, so that was annoying. But yeah, nothing nothing can kill you, per se. There's no way to end the journey except by ending the journey. Like, you get to the end. That, that There's nothing to stop you. There's no loading screen. There's no restart. Actually, Brian, you were talking about how the guy kind of pieced out on you. If you hit pause, you don't go into a pause screen. You sit down Indian style, and you sit there until you hit the button again, and then you pick back up. That's it. Like, you just sit down and wait. An interesting point to what Brian was saying. The uh, multiplayer is not only non-violent, it's also non-competitive. Um, you and your co-op buddy aren't uh, aren't competing for the same resources and power-ups. If one of you grabs it, the other person can. There's no resources that get spent. Everything is reusable. Um, and there's uh, no real way to stop the other person from progressing, too. So there's no online griefers. The lack of online grief and avenues to actually inflict grief on other people is a reaction to the very real quote from Genova Chen. The general consensus is online gamers are assholes. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this is probably like the most prominent reason I don't often engage with online competitive games. Um, you know, unless it's like with friends that I already know, because yeah, online gamers are assholes. That's definitely a universal truth. Well, it's because it's one of the only interactions you can have that has zero consequences. Hmm. They don't know who you are. You can just be a dick and not have to worry. Like, it's one of the few times you can interact with somebody without any repercussions. Yeah. Yeah. And so people take advantage, unfortunately. Anonymity plus an audience equals assholes. Yeah, especially when you're framing it in the dynamic of a an empowerment fantasy, right? You're empowered. You have absolutely no responsibility to your fellow gamer. So what are you going to do? You're going to be a dick. Yeah. Right, but in this game, it engendered the opposite. I like like we were talking about. We would hang out and wait for our friends because we we knew that you know we could get there better together, mm-hmm. which was good. Definitely. I think another cool and important thing about that aspect of this is this is probably a game that would resonate with every member of the family, quote unquote, right? That is uh, something that you don't often see and you don't often think about. And, you know, maybe Clint, you are going to be thinking about this more and I'll probably be thinking about it more as well as, you know, you become a parent. Um, It's interesting to play a game that you think yeah you know i could share this with a child at a relatively young age and not feel like i need to caveat a bunch of things that are happening on the screen for sure so when i played this game um you know, I played it for the first time uh, in 2020, eight years after it came out. The multiplayer experience is very seamless and integrated, but there's probably less people playing it now than there were when it first came out, and I didn't have a co-op buddy for the entire time. 
Um, I learned later on there's a lot of th benefits you get from having a co-op buddy, like you recharge each other's energy. Um, I think you can even go flying with each other if you stay close enough to each other, which would be pretty cool if that happened with what I had. Uh, but I still, you know, I saw enough of the multiplayer aspect to feel like I got a pretty good grounding in that. And one of the questions in my head was like, is this game work better as a multiplayer or as a solo experience? I think this game was very intentionally designed as a cooperative multiplayer experience and it achieved that goal very well. I respect the game design a lot for that. But also, I had an amazing time running through it alone, like just exploring this dead civilization. There's no puzzles that you are required to have a friend for. You can get through the entire game yourself. And I feel like it presented a different kind of atmosphere than the one you have when you're going through it with somebody, as when you're trying to climb this mountain by yourself. Uh, it's a very different atmosphere and mood, and I don't think that should be discounted. It was a very powerful mood with that all the same. No, so the multiplayer was in no way required, and I don't even think it made it any easier to have someone there. I think it just made it more interesting. Now, I think I think I probably got one of the most impactful uh, scenarios. I had help, and then when they moved you down to that really desolate underground place, that's when I lost my my co-op friend. So that even made that feel even lonelier and, and darker in that area. And then when I finally got out of there, I got a new partner. I'm like, hell yeah, we're back in this. So I think it adds something to the personal storytelling part of it, but I don't think it made the game any easier. Certainly, I mean, the jump doesn't really matter at all. You're absolutely right um, that there's no no requirement for multiple people, but the game is trying to put you in places where you are dwarfed by your surroundings. Everything around you is gigantic and massive, and you're a tiny robed speck on the side of this gigantic mountain or sand dune or what have you. And if you have someone else there with you, it helps alleviate that feeling of massive loneliness that this huge, gigantic open space is bound to put upon your character and you as the player. So I think you're right, Josh, that maybe it heightens that feeling of loneliness, but to your, to your point, Clint, despite the fact that you can make it through everything, it certainly helps to have someone by your side to do it. I liked it even better when it was a surprise. Like, I did not go into this expecting it. I experienced that loneliness and that vast scale and feeling like, you know, that tiny speck. And then, oh my God, there's someone here too. This, I was halfway through that, that bridge puzzle when I realized there was someone else there. And I was like, yes, I'm not <laughs> in this by myself. This is cool. <laughs> like, it was just a cool surprise that I was not expecting in the slightest. It just removes so much friction from the whole thing, right? Like two heads really are better than one in this game. Like I consistently found myself like not noticing something and then seeing my companion person notice like a, an alcove where I could find a scarf extending icon or I would do the same for them or one of us would notice how to figure out a puzzle and the other would, you know, get killed by a stone serpent. Um, it was <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool. Like there was a lot of... Um, give and take in that, that relationship even though, like like we've all said the whole time, there's no words. Like everything else in this game, it's simple, not a whole lot to it, but it's majorly impactful despite all that.
And with that, why don't we go into some three-word reviews? My three-word review is Wordless Road Trip. The cliche of the real journey was the friends we met along the way is alive and well in 2020, despite this game being almost a decade old. And Journey is still a breath of fresh air today in a media landscape that remains saturated with violent games. It's cool that there's still a group of players aiding each other to make their way through this experience and help them make it to the summit for the first time. Despite the inability to communicate with any of your Journey comrades, it's quite easy to form a positive bond with the people you travel with. And whether you take it as a metaphor for life or just a solemn tour through a quiet, majestic environment, it's a journey worth taking, wordlessly. Mine was short and sweet. And as the name of this game kind of suggests, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Um, it's short and simple. It takes about an hour, I think maybe an hour and a half to beat. Not much to it, but it's beautiful and impactful. And in a, in a year like 2020 where everybody's feeling a little bit isolated and kind of alone this was kind of a, a game that fits that theme but then you find a companion you find somebody that you can work your way through these trials and tribulations with and it makes it a whole lot easier and despite the fact that the challenge is is no easier having them there it's just nice knowing that there's somebody going through the same thing you are and that was like a really impactful message that i got out of this game and i liked it a lot and you should definitely play it it only takes an hour of your time and i think you should check it out seconded and thirded Alright, this game was a thumbs up for me. My three-word review was Scarf Squids Forever. Uh, now, obviously, this game was very much designed to be a multiplayer experience. I think that's where they started with all the prototypes they were put, uh, trying out for this game. Um, but in the end, it was the environment, the music, the artwork, that feeling of being overpowered by the landscape and being lost amidst the ruins of a dead civilization. Um, I, my hot take is that this game works uh, possibly even better as a solo experience than as a multiplayer experience. Um, but I do remember one of the moments of joy from my mostly solo run was coming across those scarf squids that would fly around and if you timed things right you could go flying with them. So they were a more of a boon companion to me than the random people online were. Even though, like I said before, this game has some very intentional design about how to get people to work together. It's something I found very interesting to play through. But there wasn't anything like the joy I got playing around with my Scarf Squid friends. So, Scarf Squid's forever. So... For us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on journeying. say keep keep climbing that mountain <laughs> yeah yeah and take care and keep on climbing yeah i think that would have been a good one for uh celeste yeah for sure <laughs> but yeah so very I, similar very similar themes there too although that was more anxiety and personal maybe i took 
the wrong take on it, but I could not help but draw comparisons to what's going on in the world around us right now and how alone everyone feels. And then getting that random companion that you weren't expecting to go along the trip with you, that was like a nice... Like I said it was a nice surprise, but it, it added a lot for me. This was one of the free games released by PlayStation for their Play at Home initiative. That's that's really interesting, and I think it is a good game for, for these times, right? An unexpected friend is always a good thing, especially when you have so few opportunities to make new friends. And you're you're right, Clint. It's a this is a game for our times, truly. If there is one game that uh, we've played in in COVID times, this is probably the the right one. Yep, I still, I mean, I bought Resident Evil 3 and I still can't make myself play it. Uh. <laughs> uh, random random note, I did play a bit of their next game, um, that game company's mobile release from 2019, Sky. Um, Sky, the Children of Light. And uh, it's a lot more MMO-y, like it's not just two people, there's like large hubs with a lot of people in them it's free it's on mobile so if you have a smartphone you can play it right now and yeah you know i like jenova chen's stated goal is to get more people playing games so if you want to get the most people playing games you're going to put it on a smartphone right everyone has a smartphone i don't quite think that sky hit the mark in the same way journey did like it has some similar things where it's trying to bring people together and engender like uh cooperative constructive and only positive interaction gameplay and the fact that it's like a huge hub rather than uh you know just a one-on-one interaction just sort of dilutes it a bit in my opinion so unfortunately you know sky didn't quite hit for me like journey did not to say you shouldn't check it out if that sounds interesting hard for lightning to strike twice honestly fair especially when you're dealing with a small team like when you've got when you got like a developer like Naughty Dog or Insomniac that just puts out banger after banger, there's like <laughs> millions upon millions of dollars and a massive staff behind them. This is just some guy coming up with ideas that sound good in his head and a couple of his buddies people, are trying to put yeah. it together. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's almost impossible to do that over and over and over again. Well, they they seem to have climbed a hell of a stair step up from, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys saw, and I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but Jenova Chen released Journey when he was 30 years old, which, wow. Um, <laughs> I feel bad. Yeah, now. good for him. <laughs> what have we done? We're pieces yeah. of shit. Oh, jeez. Like, can you imagine, like, at thirty, having that under your belt? Good God. Well done, Genova. Kudos. You don't need me to tell you that. 